Um, okay, everyone out there in our film roundtable community, here we come at you with another episode. Um, <clears throat> here we have a very old friend of mine, Mr. Callum Green, who is coming to us from New Zealand. Personally, this is probably the furthest hookup we've had. Uh, Callum, I want to thank you for being able to join us. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Um, this means a lot to us here in the filmmaking community as you know, we've had some producers on and people keep <clears throat> emailing us and saying, hey, we really like to see some more producers to understand that process and hear from them. Um, as everyone knows out in the film roundtable community, this came together and started um, because of the COVID lockdown, getting a lot of filmmakers together just to talk about um, our, our, our community, our organization, and in a lot of ways to demystify the process for young filmmakers on you know, how to get into the business. So as always, uh, we need to uh, pay some respects to uh, what this pandemic is, is currently up to for all of us. Um, and as of this recording, uh, we are at 1.3 million deaths worldwide and 245,000 deaths in the United States alone. Um, so that's something for us all to always think about and keep in our mind and our hearts as we move forward. Um, as always, let's just hold a moment of silence here in the virtual space um, because of the COVID pandemic. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. That, that means a lot to us, the people who put this together and the people who follow us. So that we always make sure we're acknowledging, um, you know, what's going on out there. Um, so, and also uh, everyone to know, if you want to catch up with the filmroundtable.org, you can see all of our back episodes as well as our YouTube channel. And what's become very popular as of late, because we're all starting to get back to work and be mobile, is the podcasts that exist on Spotify and iTunes. Always a great way to hear these conversations. So without further ado, a very old friend of mine, Mr. Callum Green is here with us. Um, a little quick backstory on my connection to Callum as we get started in here, which is gonna be a little food for thought for all of you young filmmakers when I keep saying, just always surround yourself with the people who you see wanna do this as you do. Um, Callum and I met, I believe in 1995, there was a movie called Lang Low. Um, I had answered an ad for PAs to come work for free. I had decided that uh, I wanted to, Callum shaking his head like, really, who put that <laughs> ad where? Um, and the first, I had knew nothing about being a PA. I knew I wanted to learn about the film business. So the actual first person I met when I showed up there, um, someone had me walk around with this guy who was carrying a very uh, beat up uh, metal clipboard and this was Callum Green, who was the second second AD on the show. Were you not, my friend? Right. That is correct, yeah. Uh, wow. I, I wonder, if, so Danny Liner, rest his soul, he just passed away last year, uh, was a yeah. director who became better known for Dude, Where Is My Car? And Harold and Kumar Go to the White Castle, became a big comedy guy. But he, he, he was a New York indie guy out of the, um, you know, the Hal Hartley school. And uh, Callum, how... Tell, tell me about, I mean, it was interesting that you and I met on that job. So how much do you remember about that job? Um, I remember it was a, a key one for me because it was uh, uh, sort of the first one I'd done with that sort of posse of uh, independent filmmaking companies that were sort of, you know, the way we got our head start, shooting gallery and killer films and open city and double A and all, all these sort of like 
Good Machine. Uh, they, they were all sort of kicking around doing movies with these, you know, new directors at the time. Um, and I remember I had done, I had just arrived in the States from London the year prior with this dream of trying to get into independent filmmaking and, and, and somehow make it work. And there was all these opportunities if you were willing to sort of come in and earn your stripes, um, work free or deferred, I think they called it. They called it um, deferred. That was exactly, I was like, oh, I'll get paid later. No problem. Deferred never. payment never <laughs> happened. Um, and uh, and I, so I'd done a couple of things and, and on that particular movie, I, I have no idea. I think I had done a few commercials as an AD. Um, and got called in to meet actually to get the job as first AD on that project and came in and sat with Danny and his producers who saw through me in about five seconds. Um, just what are you doing in this room? Um, and on the way out, Danny came running out and grabbed me and he said there was something he liked and, and said, um, you know, if we go another direction, I hire someone who can do the job. Would you still be interested in maybe, you know, second ADing or second or still being part of the team? Like he just said, you know, you sounded like you were, at least you were enthusiastic and passionate and we might go with someone who actually has some skills, but would you still be into it? And I said, absolutely, I'd love to do it. So they called me up a little bit later and said, um, uh, uh, would you, you know, take the position as a second second? And I was like, absolutely. And um, so it was a fantastic experience. Actually, I think that was my first feature ever. Yeah, I think it was. And off the back of that, um, met a couple of people who then furthered you know that's a whole other story but yeah that's how i ended up there working the shooting gallery deferred payment and i remember meeting you and a couple of the other pas and and being like impressed that you you know had your wits about you and knew what you were doing and i think similar to myself just and to those people starting off just whatever it was that was asked of you you did it to the best of your ability 100 percent smile on your face let's get this done part of the team and I think you don't ever quite know where you're going, where your trajectory is, is going. Um, and it's a wise move to just do that because the people above you see that, recognize that energy and recognize that skill set. And even if you don't know how to AD a movie, if they see someone who's competently trying to do a street lockup or handle an actor or pass out coffees, you know, when the opportunity arises. And that's what happened to me. I, there was a, a wardrobe PA. Um, who was a little older than all of us by about, I would say a decade and um, a little bit more chop chop. And um, she, um, so I think a few people found her a little bit rougher to deal with. Whereas I just thought she was doing you know, her job. I was pleasant to her as I was to everyone. And lo and behold, she turned out to be someone who didn't need the job, had decided to just try filmmaking, super successful millionaire and invited me to dinner three months later to meet um, a couple of producers who were in trouble uh, with a film that they were doing, a little $150,000, $200,000 movie, and needed a production manager. And lo and behold, she just like, this guy's capable, got on with everyone, did his job. Same thing that I saw in you, she saw in me, and suddenly I was production managing my first film. And I did not have the resume for that, but that feeling of confidence that she had seeing me run the set or working with the actors and having some diplomacy intact, um, got me that first production manager gig and from there my second and from there to line produce and from there to produce and on and on and on. So if it hadn't been for, for her, um, it wouldn't have happened. But of course, if it hadn't been for the method with which I approached the movie itself, I don't think it would have happened. And I think the same was 
true when I met you. We were just like, let's get this done. We're excited. We're enjoying this. And, and to this day, you know, here I sit, I think we probably had 30 people on that crew. And, um, you know, my show right now has over 2000 people. And I still notice every time someone is got a smile on their face, is tackling something aggressively, even if they don't know how to, to do it, asking good questions, clearly wants to be there. Then the next month when there's an opening or something else, and I'm like, huh, I wonder if that person could be good. And that's how it flows. It's still your attitude means everything. And also just be diplomatic and solid and humanitarian to everyone you work with because you do not know who's going to be the multimillionaires who doesn't need to be there, um, but is just doing it and because it will be noticed. Um, and the reverse is true. If you're, you know, if I catch anyone on words with friends, it's just, it's, you know, pick up a broom, go do something, make yourself busy. Uh, it'll be noticed. Um, but yeah, laying, laying low, um, Young Danny Liner, I think 21 day shoot, something like that. Something very tiny like that. All I remember is I was there for like three days. I had no idea what a PA was. And three days later, you made me the key PA. And I was, right. like, I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, I can do this, man, whatever it takes. You know, I mean, I, you know, I was bartending at the same time, trying to like, you know, pay my bills and then working for free. And then I'll never forget Danny Liner, like a week later was like, you know what ADs do? I'm like, not really, man. I'm kind of new here, but I like all this. He's like, should hang around the ADs. I think you'd, you'd be like a good one. You got a good personality for that. So it's, right. it's exactly what you're saying. It's like, just be yourself, be hungry, be energetic. And that's always going to shine through. And that's what this business always needs. And that's really how in lots of ways, the cream rises to the top. I mean, you know, I didn't, uh, it's so funny because I actually went and on IMDB and looked at the laying low uh, credit list. There's like 20 people on there. You and I are not yeah. on there. You know, it's like, Jim Deneau, who was the DP at the time, uh -huh. like now a, a very well-known DP in like, you know, he does a lot of these like uh, limited series and streamer things, yeah, but yeah. it was literally like 10, 12 people were on that list. A lot of, you know, people who've gone on to become successful, but who are not on that list, which is very interesting. Um, and, uh, but you're absolutely right. And then that's the way that that's one thing that we always try and tell people who are trying to break into this business is it's really you know, really just kind of be, be hungry and be willing to be there. And that's always going to shine through. I mean, one thing I didn't get into with everyone in case they don't know you is say what you have been up to lately. Obviously we can't, we can't talk about where you are now. Let's just say it's not in the U S and he's got 2000 people working for him, but tell us what the project was before this, that everyone will know. So they understand this huge jump that you've made sure. and then we'll talk about how you got there. Sure. Yeah. With a few zeros added. Um, so the last project, last film I did was Star Wars 9, JJ's final Star Wars. Um, so I was on that for about uh, a little over four years. Um, and so I've gone from doing four movies a year to one movie every four years is how I look at it. That's what they call um, climbing the ladder. <laughs> it's still the same job. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy how it, it, it all boils down to the same thing. And, um, but yeah, so that was crazy big movie very different from from laying low I, I i would i would hazard a guess that the entire budget of laying low would have paid for about half a day of shooting star wars um or just fact, a crafty, probably, sure. probably just a crafty setup really <laughs> oh yeah yeah it's uh it gets ridiculous um and so yeah that movie that's sort of the the, the night and day and um i sort of determined that would be the last 
big crazy movie that I that I would that I would do. And uh, all I can say about this one is, is this is another big crazy one, but but television. So I'm I'm still learning, and and that for me is the personal drive con continually is to continue to learn. Um, and it sort of has been the process as I've as I've gone through the ranks. It's uh, to learn and learn and learn and learn. And um, and at this juncture, yeah. So trying to finish these bigger projects out, and then um, weirdly enough, now hankering to get back into what I was doing before, back into the indie world, and back into developing my own projects, and uh, and and getting that stuff going, something with a little bit more um, personal uh, connection um, to it. But um, but yeah, in between has been a a, a fun a fun journey and. Uh, uh, yeah, that was a that was a fun, crazy project for sure. Well, the always learning is a big thing, and that's one thing you know we always, I always say as well. It's like, and the one beautiful thing in lots of ways about what we do, right? And for the most part, every project is different. Almost every day is different. Every group is different. So there's, there's a constant evolving sense of how to approach the job, which which keeps it fresh, you know. And the thing is, it's very interesting. I mean, for talking about your career specifically, because. You know, you, you were very well established in the low budget type of indie world. I actually distinctly remember working on reshoots with you with a, a, a De Niro movie called Everybody's Fine and having a dinner with you and you literally saying, you know, you were about to travel and start working, I believe it was with Guillermo, right, on, on the next thing. So how did you personally make that jump? Was it all just, you know, meeting somebody or what was that jump to become like a well-established indie guy to now, you know, get into a big realm studio movie? Um, I think the, look, there's, I wish I could say it was all a predetermined plan. I think I was craving to just do new stuff and work with as many people as I could and learn stuff. And, and so I had a great 15 years in, in New York and the, probably the biggest stretch I had was seven years with Sofia Coppola and did a couple of her movies. And, um, and then, you know, uh, Michael Amareda, of course, who, you know, which was a, a awesome New York indie um, track to, to tread, but also Michelle Gondry and Ang Lee and a bunch of other people. And um, it came to a point where I was doing Marie Antoinette with Sophia in Paris in 2005. And it was my first sort of big studio picture. It was a negative pickup with Sony. And um, we, you know, we did a good job. And, and um, I got a call with regards to would I be interested in going to, to LA and Sony were interested. Uh, basically, I think what they wanted to do was, was pick my brain and methodology for applying low budget techniques to bigger budget projects. So my first studio picture was a picture called Vantage Point uh, with a British director, Pete Travis and a really great uh, ensemble crew of actors um, that um, we, we had a $80 million price tag. And I was able to put that together for half that. And um, that became appealing. So I just took my skill set of taking every project on its own merit, a bespoke approach, and really whittling it down and starting from the ground up. And so that was the first movie I sort of got into on the studio level and did a, a few in and around that range. I was working with the original films, uh, Neil Moritz's company and did um, two or three projects with his uh, that happened and two or three that didn't. And um, again, it's interesting you bring it up. I, I was working on a version of Escape uh, from LA um, 
a sort of Escape from New York remake. And um, uh, we were looking again, it was like a budget of $200 million and they were trying to bring it down for a hundred, let's say. Um, so took the same approach and applied it and figured out, well, actually, if we could go to Connecticut and get the look and blah, 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 blah anyway, delivered this. Um, and unbeknownst to me, there were several interested parties in that, including New Line and Warner Brothers. So cut forward two years later, um, they were putting names together for Del Toro and Peter Jackson to, to interview and meet. Um, and sort of on a wild card, um, the people at New Line remembered my approach to that movie that never happened. And again, I just had gone in every day, even when it looked hopeless, um, and fought the good fight and presented a, a way of cracking the puzzle and, and a solution and been friendly to everyone. And lo and behold, like the executive that I'd worked with was junior, was suddenly now senior. And she was like, well, could, would you ever be interested in something really large that we're trying to do in a controlled fashion? and wouldn't tell me what the project was, but I was like, of course. Um, so I got on a, a long list that became a short list and I just kept feeling if I could get a meeting. And meanwhile, Pete Francioso who was my agent at UTA, was working his magic, which was taking a little meeting at MGM, taking a little meeting at New Line, taking a meeting at Warner Brothers, all the players in this. So that when my name suddenly appeared on this list, everyone sort of knew who I was and could partially take ownership of me being a non-political choice. And I think I would lucked out in terms of timing. If you've been around too much, you know, not, you can, not that you have a bad reputation, but I, it can be that people see you as a certain way or, and I think that I was just a fresher face on that list. I could be seen to be not Guillermo's person, not Peter's person, not any particular studio's person. And so that interview process took about seven or eight months. And in the meantime, yeah, I was doing uh, Everybody's Fine with Kirk Jones and De Niro and Drew Barrymore, Kate, Kate Beckinsale. I'm trying to think, it was a great little cause. Um, but yeah, another sort of indie, fun enough in Connecticut. Uh, and it, yeah, it took seven or eight months. And finally, after meeting Peter and uh, Guillermo um, and having a great meeting with them, then I think it was a couple months later and then I got the call on Everybody's Fine. And yeah, that was definitely a game changer. I think um, I view like laying low is one game changer, loss in translation, another game changer. Uh, and The Hobbit definitely was the next sort of door opener. And suddenly I was in this realm of doing these hundreds, hundreds of millions of dollars of, of movies. Um, so yeah, that would have been 2009. Um, and then worked with Guillermo for about seven years and um, had a great run with him. And then that led into like all these bigger movies. Um, but uh, yeah, it was quite a seismic change. And, and it is always interesting because, you know, one thing that I've often spoken about is how, you know, one, none of us really ever get into this business thinking of it as a career. We can look back 20 years, 25 years later and be like, oh, wow, I have had a career. But it's so much because of the nature of us being gun for hires and how we work, right? I always view it as a series of concentric circles. Like when you start out, your circle's really small and then it gets, gets bigger the more you work and then it gets bigger the more you work. And eventually you get into this place, you know, where you've got like this twilight zone effect in terms of how big your circle is, you know? And, it, and, it, and then as you said, it's interesting the thing you said about 
side, you know, like the, these decisions you make, particular projects that end up getting chosen for X, Y, or Z people and the people that you meet there, and that creates this divergent piece of a form and so yeah. on and so on. So it's like, there is no straight line, you know, going from starting to 25 years being over here, right? It's, it's a little bit of a, of this type of a, a, a serpentine movement, oh, for right? sure. Yeah, for sure. And I, I still remember, I mean, you know, it's, I remember those winters in New York where you would be coming off a project in October and November, just scared about when your next job was. And, um, and it was always such a dead time because, you know, those small independent movies rely a lot on run and gun, on being able to go to Chinatown, being able to take advantage of New York as a great location. And they just, didn't, you know, they weren't shooting till the spring. And, and I remember the first year when, um, when, I, when I had a project that, that overlapped over the winter and I sort of thought, yes, I'm, I'm in now. This is, <laughs> this is it. I can uh, continually, uh, you know, get, get, get working. Um, but it is, it is strange. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I think, um, I think the worst thing I see in terms of, you know, my compatriots and, and peers is, you know, getting on the phone with, with, with you and, 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 uh, you know, our contemporaries, the people that are still doing it are still the people that like enjoy it, have a laugh, who, who get how hard it is, but at the same time are still seeking to learn, are still enjoying solving the puzzles and, um, and figuring it out. Uh, and there is nothing more satisfying than, than doing that. And uh, I think personally for me, it's, it's everything from the little, you know, things we did on $150,000 movies through to the things we do on $150 million movies and, um, and finding that blend. I would say tech is probably the most, the thing that I've learned the most about in the past four or five years. I would think, I think the politics remains the same regardless of a $100,000 movie or, you know, $200 million movie, politics, diplomacy, tact, therapy, talking to people, communication, apply those rules, no matter what your project is, one day shoot, hundred day shoot, doesn't matter. Those is the most important keys. I would say then on top of that, your project will have other weird oddities in terms of what you have to deal with. For me, the learning point that is keeping me going and not becoming some sort of jaded uh, is the tech and, and, and everything that we're getting into now with regards to that. And it's super fun to play with those tools and to learn that stuff. Um, but I would say if you find yourself jaded or getting irritated, that, that will start to affect the core level of those things that we just talked about in terms of diplomacy, tact, communication. Um, it'll seep in and you will not be able to function properly. And you can just tell it. I've seen people getting burnt out. I've seen people getting snappy. I've seen people just the short answer. And it, it doesn't matter that you've done 10, 20, 30, 40 different projects uh, and are probably right 50% of the time. Um, hearing just a sharp no or why bother, it's just gonna be this just isn't great for the person who's done one movie or two movies or three movies um, or is their first movie um, because you do want that dogged determination you do want that you know those people uh bringing and it could be the director's first movie and he or she doesn't want to hear like Ugh, why are we bothering talking about it? let's just jump to the chase we're never going to get that location because at the end of the day you might you might and uh and it's certainly it's not our position to say to say no in, in any other scenario other than safety. Um, it's to say how and to figure out what that is because um, there's a version, there's always a version. If you, I remember when Lost in Translation, my big learning tool, when I'm talking to Sophia, uh, you know, her second movie, we're out in Japan, one of the hardest movies I've ever done. 
in my life. And um, she wanted a uh, Simon and Garfunkel song uh, to play in the New York bar. And um, I was like, okay, okay. So I got into it and they came back and said, yes, you can have it. So excited, great, here we go. And they said, it's $150,000 for the, for, the, for the rights. And I was just like, well, that's an, our entire music budget. So I went to Sophia and said, um, you know, no, basically. Uh, and she was like, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate, you know, you working so hard and staying up to communicate with LA and figure that out. The next day she came in and said, oh, hey, I talked to Paul, of course, because um, she knew Paul Simon. And he was like, you can have it for 5,000 bucks or something. And I was like, ah, oh, okay. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it's not my job to say no. You never know when someone has a connection or a way. We have a scenario here where it's like we have five days on top of a mountain. With the only way in there is with helicopters. And it's like, there's no way we can afford it. And, you know, the, the team, you know, that's not how I presented it. I said, here's what could happen. It seems unlikely, but is there another way? And immediately they got together and said, you know, well, what if we just do it as a vista and a look and we just do it with visual effects plates and we do it for one day instead of 10? All of a sudden it becomes completely possible. And there we go. It's not, you know, whilst we have, you know, I always say this about ADs in your job, you have like all of the control and none of the power because if the director wants to go again, again, in case, except for safety or the sun's really gone, but even then if the director wants the shot to be black, mm -hmm. so you have total control, but no power. And my short stay as, a, as, a, as an AD was, you know, a brief couple, few movies as, as, as an AD. I found that incredibly hard to deal with. And, um, you know, it amazes me when top-notch ADs such as yourself have that ability to roll with the punches and guide and push things along. And I view the same thing as, as producing. It's still part of that same brain and it's still working with that tact and diplomacy uh, to go back because you never know when someone knows Paul Simon and can make you look like a fool for saying no, you know? It's just, I did as well as I could do, but maybe there's another option and then you wait and see. That's an, you know, you've said some very profound things there about, you know, the heart and soul and just the determination to, that we all try and get involved in to help service, you know, people's creative visions. We are part of a team delivering and oftentimes, and you'll agree with me on this, you know, sometimes we're met with roadblocks and we're able to offer up creative solutions that then become the way to get something done. You know, right. and, and, and that is such an important part of what I do and what you do in terms of ultimately helping a director, a cinematographer, even a writer. You can be like, hey, instead of that scene, how about if it's written over here because we have this? And then they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, and before you know it, it's like, you know, that's part of the whole team aspect of getting it done on so many levels. Absolutely. I think those are the best directors, the ones that are, you know, have that innate stubbornness that makes a good director. You need it. You need it because it, a no is the easiest way to go. Um, and they need to be able to push back and fight. But I think uh, those who do it with, uh, with the human touch and with compassion are, are the best um, and, uh, and, and have that reason. And, you know, Del Toro used to come every day and, you know, he'd have his little notebook and he'd have his little, his little doodles of what we we're gonna do. And he and he alone would know what could come off and what wasn't absolutely essential and that was his information to share and he would guide us through and on a good day there would be very few that were not crossed off and on some days that we we we, we didn't um but it's their job to push and, and our jobs to help um and you know the 
the best movies are ones you're able to prep properly because then all these conversations can happen like this calmly figure it out make the calls think about it come back and you know i think again with with diplomacy and tact and compassion if you can push those questions to the forefront every day in prep they get answered in an equally calm fashion and it's not aggressive or or confrontational the worst thing comes when that happens on set or um, the day before and people feel as they do in in real life uh, caught out or trapped or put in a position where they now have no choice and uh, react in an, in an absolutely understandable fashion with frustration and um, uh, you know sometimes anger or what have you but you know if we're doing our jobs properly just apply those those basic tenets you know from day one and try and answer that stuff beforehand and then hopefully you're dealing with a crew where if something comes up if you're on a mountain and one of the camera breaks and you only have one camera that's no one's fault that's in the lap of the gods and how do we deal with this now as a team um and i always say it's 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 always better it's such a difference when you make a movie a second movie with the same team because you just you you can cut right to the chase and you know when someone's like well that's a no okay cool and you can move quickly through this stuff uh because you trust each other that's what's important um and a first movie is sort of a relationship you sort of and you always i see it i start i'm normally one of the first few people on so we're doing the dance, we're having the dinners, we're, we're in love. And then, you know, the AD comes on and you start to see that flirtation going on. And the AD is now suddenly dancing with the director and doing all the stuff and knows more and knows everything the day to day. And then the DP comes on. And then there's a little bit DP, AD kind of like jealousy going on. And, uh, and somewhere within that, a costume designer who's wowing and caught the director's eye. And then you go into the crew and there's suddenly, you know, you know, 50 people, 500 people, whatever it is. And the director is, you know, charging along and you take a little bit of a back seat and then you get to post and you're like, okay. And then the editor appears and, oh, you see that relationship building and you're like, oh, I'm getting jealous again. And then by the time of the premiere, you're, hey, let's do another one. But it's, it's this beautiful relationship that you, that you have as, as, you, as you do the dance. And until you've done one, you've got to realize, just don't be jealous because it's going to happen. <laughs> and uh, inevitably, you know, for, for a lot of directors, if there's that person you just keep saying, yes, you're, you're, you're in trouble because they're going to fall in love with them hard. Um, uh, whereas you're like being a little too sensible for them. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the trust of a second movie, it's just such a relief. You're like, okay, you've proven yourself. You've, you've earned your stripes uh, and that's fantastic. There's the shorthand. The shorthand, once you start working with a group, a core group over and over again, it just becomes automatic. You know, it just becomes less things need to be said. They're understood. You know, as yeah. you, said, it's, you know, it's a key proportion of it. Uh, um, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I was wondering about, to, I wanted to ask you about is, you know, and one of the things we talk about often in terms of like helping that next generation, because in a lot of ways, the way we all did it, right, it was pretty much, you know, grab yourself by the bootstraps and go. And now, there's a lot more conscious effort going around in the industry about being able to mentor people um, in, in, in certain areas to understand, you know, to be able to create avenues into this business that haven't always been accessible before, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, mm -hmm. and how, how do you see that? And, 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 you know, you know, what are your thoughts on being able to, uh, you know, for the younger generation to be able to advice that you can give them or ideas in your own backyard in terms of how to mentor people 
Yeah, it's a it's a, a tricky one. I think when we were growing up, there was a big sort of intern slash deferred payment uh, scenario, which of course was probably completely illegal. Yeah. Um, but in a, in a way, a shame, because that's how we earned our stripes. And I think if it's your choice to go work, and you're not talking 14 months, you're talking a month, two months, perhaps. Um, and if that's your choice to, to do that, I think it should be open. You know, I was lucky enough to, to go to, um, to film school and, and, and work a couple of avenues there. But, you know, of my 75 colleagues, I could count in one hand the number of people who are successful. Uh, the rest blew that money and it would have been far better for them to have gone and just taken the same amount of time and tried to work on a couple of independent movies and actually see for themselves, is this for me? Which I think is a very important question. I think the glamorization of, of film has just increased decade by decade to a point where, you know, my mother can tell me the budget of every project I've done. And I'm like, this is irrelevant. And who's dating who? And it's become this like very kind of glamorous, sexy life. And it's like, and I can tell you, it's so not, I start my day every day at 4 a.m. And I go way into the night to try and rustle this, this beast that I'm on right now. It's exhausting and it takes it out of you. And if you don't love it, it's like walk away. So how do you prove yourself to that? I mean, I think film school is not for everyone. Having gone there, I think I can speak to that. And it's hugely expensive in this country. So I would caution just, you know, it's certain film schools may open certain avenues and others don't. Um, and check with yourself first, take a moment and figure out, is that the avenue you want to go? And it might be the only avenue you have, depending where you are and where you live. But at the same time, getting a loan isn't real money. So that might be your, your only avenue, whereas, you know, real money to be able to afford an apartment and go to New York or uh, well, not LA, but New York or, or Toronto or somewhere that has a base of independent filmmaking or, you know, New Orleans, uh, New Mexico, uh, uh, it might be a different route, uh, Atlanta, you know, some of these big hubs that have got stuff going on and, you know, go and say, okay, I'm, instead of going to film school for three years or four years, I'm going to do um, six months uh, and try and start from scratch. Um, I think there are programs out there, you know, I rarely shoot in the States, so it's hard to speak to what's going on there. Um, but certainly in Great Britain and where I am here now that, that we've, there's programs through the BFI. I think we had 40 interns um, on uh, Star Wars um, at paid positions that were paid half by the BFI and half by us. And that's an ongoing program to encourage the youth of today to get involved um, at, a, at a level that won't bankrupt them. Um, I think we're trying to do a program here where we have eight paid positions on the show that could rise up and up. Um, and certainly, you know, I'd be all up for... Um, in turn, you know, having mentoring people uh, out there um, to get a taste of what's going on because it is hard and it is tricky and it's not as glamorous as people make out. And I think it's really important for you to be real with yourself in terms of like, is this for me? Um, is this what I want to do? Particularly if you're not in a, a craft, if you're not costume, camera, sound, something that has a technicality to it uh, that you can, you know, know yourself whether you're good at that or want to do that. Uh, but in this sort of general production world, uh, it's a little harder. Um, and I think there are ways in which you can try and test yourself. Um, but yeah, I think, look, we're, we're, we're always trying. And certainly I think you and I are at a position in our lives where we can be confident that we're, you know, the 24 year old where we're bringing on, isn't going to take our job the next day um, and, and, and open that up. And I, I think it's, it's, it's hugely important to provide a different avenue than people taking on $100,000 worth of loans to go to, to go to a film school that might end in the same dead end. Yeah, that's well put. And um, 
you know, and, and that is something, you know, that, you know, we do have a lot of people out there, as I said, kind of look to us and we try and de demystify the process in lots of ways. Like, you know, there's 24 year olds out there right now who that's what you and I were doing, you know, 25 years ago. And it's important to show them that if you stick with it, you have the passion to it, you will rise up and create a career. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I know I, speaking to a lot of kids now, they get very disheartened because a lot of kids in this generation expect things to happen quickly. And it's like, give it right. time, just work hard. And oh, it was happen. years before uh, that winter gap disappeared. <laughs> I, I mean, got to be seven years at least of trying to just keep going, keep going. And, and uh, you know, even when, you know, one of my best buddies and yours, Anthony Katagas and I formed our little company and we were trying to pay each other three or 400 bucks a week and try and and scrape through and and figure it out and, and this you know this that late nineties early two thousands it, it it's um it's a it's a it can take a long time and and I I really feel in a way it should it, 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 you're earning your stripes and you're building that concentric circle as you as I say and if you're doing that properly then that circle is solid and that circle is a base where I think I'm lucky enough I think that most people within that circle would would speak nicely of, of the, the work that we can do if, if, if we are appropriate for the project at hand. Um, but there's no rushing towards doing it. I think it's, um, it is good. But I think again, yeah, it's uh, try and get out there, try and get a PA job, try and start from the bottom, um, suck it up, um, learn, learn, learn. Uh, again, tact, diplomacy and compassion uh, with communication. Those are the best tools that you can have and they're tools you already have. You don't need to have even been on one day of a film set to, 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 to have those, those very, very valuable tools. And your first day on a film set, if you bring those to bear, it will be noticed um, and it will start to, to, to get things going for you. Well, that's absolutely well said. And, uh, you know, Callum, I know you're, we're, you're, we're getting you on a shoot day. So, uh, you know, we're going to wrap this up. But I do want to say something to you know, young people out there listening who think that, you know, they might be interested in becoming a production manager, a line producer, a producer in, 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 in the kind of, you know, uh, stratosphere that Callum is in, please go back and listen to these words. You're not going to hear a more thoughtful person lay out the type of way you need to approach the job every day, uh, you know, in order to just climb this ladder. So Callum, I really appreciate your time with us here today. This has been great. It's been, it's been, we, it's been a, few months if people knew of me trying to track you down so that we could find this slot in time because you're so busy. Um, wow. But thank you for joining us here at the Roundtable, Cal. We really appreciate it. Uh, you're, you're more than welcome, Doug. It was a lovely opportunity to get to, to chat to you and reminisce. And uh, I wish you luck with the rest of these. It's, it's a fun uh, uh, thing to go listen to and learn from, you know, whether you're driving around or just walking about. And uh, hopefully there's some inspiration there. It is, it is tough, but it is doable. And I think you and I are both testament uh, to that uh, 25 years later. And um, it was lovely to see you again, my friend. Great to see you too, my friend.